0: So uh, to get started, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have been in the room when a child was born? And it does not count if you were the child. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people. So the, from the perspective of an observer, it's one of the most amazing things you could witness. It, it is. It Think about everything that happens to the mother's body that leads up to this moment. The the, the seemingly slow growth of another person inside a mother's body. Her body becomes the home to another human being. The sensations of the child moving as the baby grows, right? The points where you get to see the foot or the arm or whatever it may be. And then eventually a mother's body tells her it's time. <laughs> this baby is, is coming. And then when the baby is coming, especially in that moment when the baby is the closest to leaving the womb and entering into the world, there's excruciating pain. This is what I gather at least as an observer. <laughs> the pain is most intense immediately before the baby arrives. Then the baby comes out of the womb, and in a way, a new world has been born with the life of this child. The world, in a sense, has become a different place with this child. Some of you older parents can say this with more qualifications than I, But you also live differently after this moment. (laughs) Life is never the same, right? Never. So this picture is one of the pictures that's used throughout the Bible to say that this is what God is doing in the world. Our passages this morning point to a new world being born from within the old world. God is bringing about something entirely new, but the point of greatest pain is that transition between the old world and the new. All the darkness of the world, the pains of life, are actually the contractions and the pains of giving birth, but they are bringing forth a new life. So here's the question that I think the passages present to us that I want to think about with you this morning. How should you live if you know a new life is coming? Even if it's not here yet, how should you live if you know a new world is being born? So our children learn this in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, our children's ministry. They learn that prophets are people who get so close to God they can hear Him speak. Prophets are people who get so close to God that they can hear Him speak. Notice I didn't say they're people who predict the future. That may be part of what they do, but it's not the only thing that makes a prophet. Prophets are people who get so close to God that they can hear Him speak. And they seem especially able to hear Him at the darkest moments. In those dark moments, they speak about the birth of this new day, a day that God will certainly bring about, that He is bringing about. So Isaiah was a prophet, and he lived in a dark moment in the life of God's people. He anticipated that God's people were going to be taken away from their homes and from their land. But Isaiah tells them that one day, their mountain will become the highest of the mountains. That is something to brag about. If your mountain is the highest of all the mountains. And all the nations will go to their mountain to hear God and to learn his rules. Nations won't even need their weapons of war anymore, so they will refashion them into farm tools. We're asking people for farm tools for our property right now. Don't give us weapons. We don't know how to refashion them. But one day, this will happen. Now, since this new day is coming, Isaiah says to his people, this is what C.J. read from us in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is what you do when you know that a new day is coming. You walk in the light of the new day. You see what he's saying? This day's not here yet, but it's coming. Start living by it now. Don't wait. Live by that day now. Even in the darkest moment. Live by that promise, that hope. Now, no prophet was ever as close to God as Jesus. He and God are one. And Jesus saw a thicker darkness than anyone else before, during, or after him in his time on earth. All of humanity's darkness piled on to Jesus. And this is interesting to me. It's something I would rather not be true But it really does seem like it's true that the closer one is to God, the darker the darkness becomes. However, the light is also brighter. It's part of the tension you live in if you want to be close to God. The darkness is very dark, but the light is also very bright. So Jesus told his disciples about how dark things were going to become for them. Life was going to become very hard for them. People were going to hate them because they loved Him and followed Him. The temple that their people came to love so much was going to be destroyed. Now, I I want to make sure you hear this, that we hear this. Jesus said that their favorite building in all the world was going to become rubble. We cannot comprehend how dangerous and radical it was for Jesus to say this to his own people. I could tell you that God is going to judge America and our favorite buildings, most symbolic buildings, will crumble to the ground. That doesn't come halfway as close To what Jesus was saying to his people about their temple, that it would crumble to the ground. But Jesus says that he himself is going to come again, the new temple the new place of dwelling with God, that He will come again, that the entire sky, the sky that He Himself made, is going to be shaken, and He will come in power and in radiant glory to gather His people from the far reaches of the world. And Jesus says, trust Me, you can bank your life on what I say. Heaven and earth might pass away, but My words will never pass away. Now, the disciples, before the passage that Travis read for us a minute ago, the disciples have asked a couple of questions. One, they asked, when will the temple be destroyed? And when will you come again? When's all this going to happen? And Jesus, his answer is in a sense telling them what they can know and what they cannot know. (laughs) What they can know and what they cannot know. If you have your Bibles, it it would be good for you to open them. I think it's fun to see this play on words that Jesus makes here. It's Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. You know, I, I think it's important that we all hear this because for some reason, most of the time that's been spent on this passage has been in trying to figure out the things that Jesus says you cannot know. If Jesus says you can't know it, You probably can't know it. That's where I would stand on that issue. So listen to verse 36 of chapter 24. Jesus tells them, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Something you could do is you could underline or highlight every time the word know is used in this section. Now, the thing that we cannot know is the timing of the Lord's return. But here's what's incredible. He doesn't even know it. And this in itself is mind-boggling. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, does not know something that the Father knows. And here's the insight for us. He's okay with it. He's okay with it. He's not mad at the Father because of it. Hey, you're supposed to share. He's not upset. We could spend a long time on this, but for today, I just want us to hear this. Equality between the Father and the Son does not mean that they do or know all the same things. And Jesus is okay with it. And if Jesus doesn't know something and He's okay with it, maybe we should be okay with that too. We cannot know when Jesus will return. We cannot know. But there is something we can know. Uh, Listen a little further down to verses 42 and 43. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this. Here's what you can know that if the master of the house had known and what part of the night the thief was coming he would have stayed awake and he would not have let his house be broken into what you can know is what you should be doing when Jesus does return what you cannot know is when he will return but you can know what you should be doing when he returns What do you do when a new day is coming? When a new day is promised? You walk in the light of that new day. You live as if that day is already here in the present. You arrange your whole life around that day. That new day that's going to be born. And so Jesus says in verse 44, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And now, our passage from Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul tells us how to be ready, how to live in light of a new day, how to stay awake. He, the Apostle Paul actually is speaking on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so Paul actually says that the new day through Jesus' death and resurrection has already been born. In part, it is already here. And we are to live in its light. So this is Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So when Christ returns and brings the new day in full, when He finishes what He has started in His death and in His resurrection, sin and evil will no longer have a place in His kingdom or in the world. His kingdom will take over all the world. His glory will cover the earth, we're told, as the waters cover the sea. Sin and evil will have no place. What does that mean for you, and for me, and for the world, and all the evil that riddles us from day to day? There will be no works of darkness anymore. There will be no hiding places for our secret sins. The things that we do and hide in our hearts that no one else knows about. There will no longer be hiding places for those things. The Lord Jesus did die to forgive us of our sins. Our deepest and our darkest, most secret of sins. He died for those. To forgive us of them. And He says, come to Me, and I will make you clean. But Jesus did not die only to forgive us of our sins. He also died to rid us of sin forever. To refashion us into His image and likeness as the Son of God. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, Paul says. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." I'm just remembering that when I was in Sunday school, when I was young, I read a passage that had the word orgies in it, and I didn't know what it meant, and I pronounced it as orgies, and everyone laughed at me. I just thought I would share that with you. What do you do, though, when a new day is coming? You live in the light of the new day. The church is... To live in this kingdom of goodness that Jesus is bringing right now. To live fully into this kingdom of goodness and beauty. To bring the reign of Jesus into the present of our lives, our homes, our families, our friendships, our workplaces. We are to implement the work of the kingdom in all the places that our fingers touch, especially our own hearts. And so, I think this is an Advent question. Are you living in the light of Christ's new day? Right now? Are you making no provision for the flesh in your life? How, how are your thoughts, are they pure by the definition of the Lord Jesus? How you think of others, How about lust? Does it have a hold on you? How about drunkenness? Excess? Do any of these things have a hold on your life? Are you awake to the Lord Jesus and are you living in His way now? Now? Now the way to live in the light of Christ's new day, Paul says, is through Christ's own law of love. So this is verse 8 of this section in Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. He's actually saying resist being indebted in other ways. Don't let debt pile up in your life financial debt especially, because it will distract you from the kind of debt you need to be paying off, which is the debt of love that God has shown you. He died for you. And so now, you are to be pouring out your life in love for others. Essentially, Paul is saying there is a credit card with no debt limit, but it's only a credit card that is of love. (laughs) Max it out run that one up. Are you doing that? Are you loving others? If you're having to obsess over financial debts, then you're, it's hard to do that. It's harder. And so you work to pay those off, basically Paul is saying, and give yourself to this other debt. Now we do have to make sure that we hear what this love is. Love We've overburdened it in America because we only have one word for it and we try to use it to cover all kinds of things. We're conditioned to think that love and law or rules are opposites. Love is freedom while law is restraint. That's a distortion. In reality, all of God's negative commands do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet. They're actually summarized in the one positive command to love one's neighbor as oneself. They're the same thing Paul is saying. The Ten Commandments aren't done. You're to, you're to continue to live into them. And the way that you do that is by loving your neighbor as yourself. The negative commands help us to actually love each other in particular ways and not to do harm to one another. Are you living by God's law that is expressed in Jesus? The law of love, of laying down your life for others. Are you walking in the light of God's new day, in the light of Jesus himself? I would hope for Lamb that this very short season of Advent may be a season in which we all become more awake to God in which we walk more closely in this light of His new day that is breaking into the world and has broken into the world in the Lord Jesus. How how can you do that? You, in your own life. Are there things that you need to confess to God and perhaps also to a friend? Uh, Maybe even a pastor. I know one, if you need that person. Maybe there are new behaviors that you need to develop in your life so that you can walk more closely with Jesus. And all of us can grow closer to Jesus, especially by spending time in His Word and in prayer. Remember what Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my Word will never pass away. The one thing that you can bank your life on in this world is the Word of Jesus. And so during this Advent season, I would encourage you, we're going to talk about a devotional later in the service, make sure that the Word of God is one of the most important things in your life for the next four weeks. Not to say it shouldn't be the most important thing all the time, but you got to start somewhere. Make it the most important thing in your life this Advent season. Now remember what I said earlier. Prophets are people who get so close to God That they can hear him. And they can help all of us learn what we should be doing right now. How we should be living our lives in light of God's kingdom that is coming. And based on that definition, we should all be becoming prophets. Are you growing so close to God that you can hear him speak? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are coming, that You have come and that You will come, and that You are bringing a new world into our midst. Help us in the pains of the old world as we wait. Give us courage, strength, fortitude to wait. And also give us the ruthless sense of priorities so that we would pursue You with all that we are And that we would be doing the things that You would have us do when You return. Amen.